for joining us for our SDBC podcast. This is the first episode of season two. We're super excited to be back. Uh, today, Mary and I are joined by two very special guests, um, Dylan Kruger, who is a, a counselor in the city of Delta. Um, Dylan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we also have Abby, and Abby works in the political sphere, and uh, she's very experienced in this political realm as well. And the reason we have Dylan and Abby joining us is because the topic that we're going to cover today is politics. So, Abby, thanks for joining us. So excited to be here. Yeah, and so as we begin this, um, we, we just wanted to kind of define what politics is. I feel like in the Christian circle, the word politics is given a bad name. Uh, many mm -hmm. people think mm -hmm. they react like kind of in two ways, either you kind of run away from it and don't want to talk about politics, or you think politics means let's fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like that, not just in churches, but also in some dinner you know, tables and you know, as people Families, engage. Yeah. yeah. So today I thought we should just begin by saying politics isn't a negative thing um, from the perspective of the church or the Bible. Um, the way I learned it, and you guys who work in politics, you guys can correct me if you have different <laughs> ideas on this, but the way I learned it in seminary, I had a prof who said, politics is the decisions around the distribution of finite resources. If we didn't have finite resources, if we had unlimited resources, it'd be easy. Let's give everyone a million dollars. But because we have finite resources, at some point we have to choose who gets what and how much and when. And that's where politics comes in. And a lot of times people disagree with you on how that should be spent, how your time should be spent, what decisions are made. And therefore, because of our finiteness, these decisions are made. And, and I think that's quite important for us to acknowledge before we talk about the, the topic of politics in this podcast, because it's theologically tied as well. Because us acknowledging our finiteness is actually really important in the Bible. See, Adam and Eve, remember, like in Genesis chapter 3, the whole problem of them reaching out and taking that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was that they didn't accept the fact that God had put limitations, hmm. that God would be infinite, and yet we would be finite. And we were to be pleased in it, and yet we reach out and we cross that line. And it happens in the Tower of Babel. It happens in, in many places in the Bible. This has become a human problem, actually, where we constantly believe that we're not finite. We want to become infinite. We see all these movies where people want to get eternal life by forcing it upon themselves and finding these infinity stones and all these things. Um, but, but that's the problem that we've had. So politics is actually a very natural response to the fact that God has created us to be finite and to lean in on him, who is the only infinite being in this world. Mm. Um, so... Politics isn't bad, although sometimes it can have bad politics in the world and we can experience that and that's detrimental. We'll get to that. But Dylan, like, if, do you have any other definitions for what you do in politics? The other definition you'll get for politics if you're sitting in a first year political science class is you'll often get the very famous quote from Aristotle mm -hmm. who said, man is a political animal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Politics is the art of imperfect humans negotiating with each other. Yes. And, you know, people tell me, oh, Dylan, I'm not, I'm not political. I don't follow politics. Everybody is political. Everybody does politics in life. It looks very different than the formal type of politics mm -hmm. that I do. Uh, there is church politics. Yes. There is family politics. There is uh, any any time there are, there are, like you said, differentiated needs between two individuals. We're engaging with politics on a micro scale. So it, it's all around us. Yeah. And and you, you mentioned church politics, but and people think, oh, that's a bad thing. When we say, oh, there's church politics going on, then you're like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. 
I'm like, no, we should be doing it with wisdom. Totally. Yeah. And, and with, with godliness. We should engage. We should just engage with it in a godly way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Abby, do you have any other thoughts on this? Well, yeah. My, my, the only other thing to add in my mind is that like politics is essential because based mm-hmm. on these definitions, like you can't have a working society. You can't have a properly functioning church. You can't have any of these things without some sort of working out or compromise or, you know, projecting a vision together of what you want it to look like. And mm-hmm. politics by in its purest form is the process of how we get to these places. So politics in itself is not not a positive or a negative thing it's just a thing it's a necessity in yeah. how we engage with each other as humans yeah absolutely and you know so today we want to talk about how do christians how can we respond to politics whether it's in like the formal political sphere or at your work or at home in in your family in your church how do we do it responsibly as christians and before we get to that i want to point to one story in the bible right when we get to the story in exodus we we hear about this man named Moses. He has a father-in-law named Jethro. And Moses has, like I said earlier, he has finite time. He doesn't have infinite amount of time. And yet he's trying to judge these like thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. And obviously he can't do it on his own. So Jethro, his father-in-law comes and gives him like a golden piece of advice. He says, you need to delegate, mm. right? You need to work with the team. You need to work together. So both to go back to your your points earlier, Dylan and Abby, um, it's actually, it's a part of our design to need to work together as a team and not to do it as a single man or woman. And I think this is why we have to engage in good politics, whether it's in your family, it's in your church, and just in your business, or it's in our corporate public sphere. Um, we need to do politics well. And, and I think the Bible supports a case for responsible leadership and responsible stewardship of political influence. So we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And similarly to Moses, we elect or appoint people in our day-to-day lives because we have jobs and families and things that we need to do. And there are thousands of decisions that are mm-hmm. made at all levels of government every day. So we appoint or elect uh, church elders and city councilors and mm-hmm. MLAs and MPs uh, to make those decisions on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we trust it, but also we hold them accountable. And yeah. it doesn't always go well, but when it goes well, there's beauty in that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So now that we've sort of laid this groundwork for what politics is, um, do we have a responsibility as Christians to participate in politics? What do you guys think about this? Who wants to go first? Yes, absolutely. We do. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of my passion for politics really stems from my Christian worldview. We are called to be very much um, fighting for a, a better world while we're in the world, uh, working to love our neighbors. It's really Mm -hmm. an extension of the call to love our neighbors. Uh, Church, uh, the church, the corporate church should be wanting to improve the streets that we live on, the cities that we live in, the countries Mm -hmm. uh, that we're a part of. So I really see it as actually an obligation as a a Christ believer, as somebody who uh, follows his teachings to participate. doesn't mean you need to run for elected office, but it certainly means that you should vote. I think we have an obligation to be somewhat relatively informed on on what is going on uh, and to speak up and fight injustice as well. For yeah, sure. and, and when we are recording this right now, it's actually election time. And mm-hmm. I know some mm-hmm. of us have already voted, advanced polls and all that stuff, mailing Ooh. it in and all that. <laughs> um, but the actual technical date of the um, election, federal election, is coming up in a couple of days here. And so there's some encouragement, hopefully, as you hear this, um, I think active participation in voting and informing yourself. I hope if you're not voting for whatever reason, I hope your reason isn't because you're too lazy to actually inform yourself on the issues. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, my perspective on that is very similar to both what you said, Paul, and um, what you said, Dylan. Like, I, I have some notes here, and I literally wrote down, like, loving your neighbor. To me, mm-hmm. voting is one of the clearest ways that we can show that our neighbor is not just the person right next to us, but it's, you know, our country, everyone everyone around us is dependent on government. It's impossible in this day and age to not be dependent on government. So how can we try to put people in power who can, um, you know, do good, who can, you know, take care of the people that we care about? And to me, it kind of goes back to the whole idea, like you mentioned injustice, the the verse about do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly Mm -hmm. with your God. Like politics is, is, compatible with that like that is how in this day and age we can create a more just world and love mercy and i think that to not engage with politics is a really lost opportunity of how Mm. to demonstrate that in your life Mm -hmm. and christ touches us and transforms us and leads us in every aspect of our lives right every sphere so this could mean how we raise our children at home this could mean how we conduct ourselves at work how we behave among our friends and neighbors. It also means how we behave as citizens in the Mm -hmm. public world, Um, how we vote, how we, I mean, I don't think, I don't believe, I'm not one of those pastors that believes in we must vote this party or this person in order to be a Christian or else. Um, No, I'm not saying that. But what I am suggesting is we should be responsible citizens. And I think Jeremiah 29, for example, I know a lot of people go to Romans 13, Mm. you know, um, obey your local authorities and stuff. But no, I go more towards Jeremiah 29 for this kind of thing, where um, God calls us to pray for the welfare of our city that we have been placed in. And in that particular context in Jeremiah 29, that city is Babylon. Mm -hmm. That's not the most godly city in the world or in history. And yet God still says, pray for its welfare, for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. So there's wisdom in God's command there. You're living in it. You're participating in it. I know, I know we're citizens of heaven. Mm -hmm. That will be our first allegiance. I get that. And yet we are still placed in this place in this time. And we have the awesome opportunity and responsibility to pray for the welfare of our city, to participate in it, and to engage in it. When we disagree and we need to hold our leaders accountable, um, it's hard to do that when we didn't go out and vote and say, you know, I voted against you because I was worried about this. Like, it's really hard to hold people accountable when you've not done your part either. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of... um, reasons why we should actively participate. And this doesn't mean you have to be signing petitions or going to the city hall every day. Doesn't mean that every everyone will have different levels of engagement. Um, but I think on the fundamental basis, um, we can do our part in our democratic structure and utilize the privilege that we have in mm-hmm. living in a dem- democ- uh, democracy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we also wanted to just talk to you guys about kind of how you got into politics and what your passions are. And so, um, yeah, why don't we just start with Abby? Um, I'm actually super interested to know this because for those of you listening, she's my sister, but we've never talked super in depth about what her exact passions about politics are. So Abby, why don't you tell us um, maybe first just a little bit about how you got into politics and then what your passions about being in politics are. For sure. Like I've always been interested in like history and politics. It's kind of go hand in hand. Um, and so it's always been an interest of mine. And I did some like poli sci classes in university and I actually interned um, 
on Parliament Hill in Ottawa for a program in university. And when I graduated, I didn't really know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. Um, I had a museum job at the time, which I'm also really passionate and I love, but I kind of just found myself in politics, um, thanks to some friends that pointed me in certain directions. And I really, I really love it because at its core, politics is about meeting needs. It's about meeting people's needs and serving people like it's called mm. public service because that's what you're doing I and I think there's this misconception that every politician gets into it for themselves right they get into it so that they can make speeches and seem very grand and make connections and all of these things but the majority of politicians that you meet they came into this job because they care about their communities and they want to make life better for the people that they live near they mm -hmm. they want to make things better and that is such a great thing and in government in politics you have um like a lot of tools to do that to make that happen really effectively so if you care about your community it's a really good place to go to make positive change mm -hmm. absolutely and dylan i'm very fortunate and blessed that I get to wake up every day and do my dream job, the one that I've had uh, for a long time. I've always been extremely passionate, like Abby, uh, about politics. And I think we all, when we're growing up, want to you know, go into a career that where you feel like you're making a positive difference in the world. And for me, that has always been the field of politics. Um, when 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 I was younger, you know, obviously you have some parental influences. When you, when you, when I was a really young kid, I would watch the federal and provincial elections, the debates, and and the election night party, and it was kind of like watching the sports game. You're cheering mm -hmm. for your favorite color or whatever team you think <laughs> is is your team. And then as you grow up and, and get into it a bit more, uh, you you understand really the. The deep and rich history of it. Abby mentioned Ottawa. I also had a chance to to be in Ottawa for uh, my my education. I went to the University of Ottawa and I worked on Parliament Hill for a few years. And when you're walking down uh, in those buildings in Centre Block on Parliament Hill, the same buildings that generations of prime ministers and ministers and senators and MPs have have walked down, it's a very humbling experience mm -hmm. to be part of something much bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And certainly when we're talking about any, any form of, of organized politics, that's what you get to do, where the, the, the sum of the, the total is, is greater than the individual parts. And uh, so working together in cooperation, hopefully making a positive difference, that's what you always strive, mm -hmm. strive to do. Uh, so I'm very blessed that I get to do that every day. Yeah, and obviously important jobs and also tough jobs mm -hmm. in politics, right? Um, so for those of you listening uh, who might not have the context, um, Dylan also serves as a as an elder at our church um, on our board. And um, when he was being elected, actually, when he was, you know, during the campaign a few a couple years ago, how many years ago was that now? Three years in okay. October. All right. So wow. three years crazy. ago, yeah. um, Dylan walked into my office. Well, we set a meeting and we had long chats. <laughs> I stormed in. <laughs> I stormed in. Down yeah. the door. We, we, we had long chats and phone calls and conversations about how tough this will be mm -hmm. and, and um, what kind of responsibilities he'll have as a Christ follower to do good, like you said, to do justice and mercy and all of that. And what would that look like in the political sphere for him as a young man going into this if he were to be elected? And at the time, we didn't know, but we prayed together and things like that. And for me, I know you guys kind of talked about the good romantic side of doing <laughs> politics, but let's face it, pol politicians and politics have a bad name yeah. mm -hmm. um, in culture oftentimes. And partially, 
sometimes unfairly, but partially because we've seen politics been uh, being abused. Yeah. And we've seen it um, not done well in our history in Canada, but also in the world. Um, and that's become very challenging because we, li- we do live in a broken world. I like your definition earlier um, from Aristotle um, and that we're imperfect people. And because we're imperfect people um, and broken people, and the Bible will say also that we are sinners, th- this actually is challenging to do politics. Mm-hmm. And we always say, oh, no one is perfect. And that's a challenge to work with people who aren't perfect, who aren't um, always on the same page. So what are some challenges that you guys experience at work, uh, recognizing that you guys work in a very difficult field, a very, um, I hope, worthwhile field too, and very mm-hmm. rewarding field, but also challenging. So are there any particular challenges that you guys face working in politics? So let's get into it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked about the romanticized kind of idealistic version of politics a little bit earlier, but the reality is... Hundreds of decisions are made every single day, and a lot of politics is really the art of the gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there is not always a very clear black and white decision. It is not good versus evil. And despite what you're seeing with the attack ads on TV right now, there is not <laughs> one party that is set to destroy Canada and another party that's set out to save it. Uh, everybody who gets into politics, I, I believe the vast majority get in for the right reasons. Yeah. Everybody is trying to do their version of what the right thing is. And even as a Christian, I'm trying to do the right thing as a Christian, but that's not always a clear yes or no response in a particular vote or on a particular policy. Mm -hmm. It does take discernment. It is complicated. There are always two sides to the story or more than two sides. That's what I've learned. I think in my first year on council, I was very zealous. I'd get an email from a constituent or a phone call about some injustice that happened to them or perceived at City Hall and be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We've got to stop this. I'm going to call the mayor. We're going to call the city manager. We're going to sit down. We're going to figure this out. And then you talk to, to city staff and there's actually a very different, completely opposite side of the story. Yeah. And you hear this in provincial politics too, when you work in constituency offices and yeah. They're, they're, it's complicated. So you mean Dylan Kruger doesn't just storm into the office and save the day? <laughs> Fix every problem. <laughs> as much as I try to do so. Uh, no, it, it's, it's often a lot more complicated and a lot of different stakeholders at play with mm-hmm. a lot of different and often conflicting interests. Mm-hmm. Um, two things can both be right at the same time and yet be completely diabolically opposed to each other. And you have to be in that decision-making chair of which value is going to win out. So it, it does lead to some very difficult and sometimes gut-wrenching choices. Yeah. Yeah. Abby, how about you? Yeah, like in terms of, of challenges and stuff, like I think kind of going back to what you said, Paul, about, you know, there, it's it's inherently imperfect because we're made up of imperfect people. And I, I think that's something that we sometimes forget is like, you know, there's that old adage about churches is that there's never going to be a perfect church because as soon yeah. as you step over the, the door, so like it's an already imperfect. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the same thing with political parties. You're never going to find one that completely aligns with you or is perfect in, in terms of their vision because they're made up of imperfect people who are trying to balance competing interests. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to keep in mind whenever you're engaging with politics. But in terms of challenges like... <coughs> what Dylan was saying is it's it's very complicated and you don't really understand everything that's at play until you're right in the middle of it and you go oh wait I understand why this is so hard Mm -hmm. and it can be really discouraging at times too because you really really want to see a certain outcome and then you you look at 
everything that has to happen in order to get there. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a long time. This is so much work. Mm -hmm. And it's also discouraging because it, it is like a, it's a very partisan space at times when Mm -hmm. you're working in levels of government, especially on the provincial or the federal scale. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes compare it to like, you know, warfare almost because in war, when you're like fighting a total war as a nation, as a coping mechanism, you have to create this version of the other, right? Like you have to build up this monster to fight against in order to continue to be able to say, I'm going to send troops off there. And that happens sometimes within political parties because you're working so hard all day, every day for what you think is right. And there's something that you think is standing in the way of that. And in order to continue to, you know, to fight against this thing, you it's easy to forget that those are people who are also working towards most of the time, very similar goals to you. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a lot of time to be like, wait, I'm actually going to take a step back and realize that like, we all mostly have the same end goal in mind. We just think that there are different ways to get there. Mm -hmm. So how can we come together and try to, you know, compromise or, or listen to each other's point of view so that at the end of the day, the needs of the people are best served. Mm -hmm. I saw a uh, tweet today, (laughs) which is always a great way to start a sentence. (laughs) Um, I saw a tweet. Every day in politics. (laughs) You know, really targeted towards undecided voters in this upcoming election that at the time of filming we're in, uh, deciding which party to vote for uh, or support in an election, sometimes we think it's like looking for your soulmate. Mm. You've got to find someone that just checks all the boxes. (laughs) I know this tweet. It's a good tweet. (laughs) When in reality, uh, and there's a few different versions of it, but the one that I saw is in in reality, it's it's a lot more like waiting for the bus. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a destination that you're trying to go to. What's the best route? Is it the Canada line? Is it the 601? Mm. What, what, what? combination of routes is the one that's going to get you as close to your destination as you can. Yeah. Maybe you have to switch buses uh, some, somewhere in between. Uh, they're imperfect vessels through which we can hopefully achieve good goals, but mm-hmm. they're certainly not um, 100% good or bad. No, yeah. there's no soulmates here. Yeah. Inter- interesting things that you guys mentioned, like Abby, when you say like the othering kind mm-hmm. of part, um, I, I did an English degree, so I did a whole paper on the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting and I think it's a temptation for not just those who are in politics, but for those who engage in conversations that lead to people who have disagreeing views sure. from you. And I think that in moments, especially if you are a follower of Christ, that's when we start to go back to our fundamental teaching of everyone is made in the image of God. Yeah. We must treat them with respect and honor, um, not because they agree with you or they've been good to you. Maybe they're slandering against you. Maybe they've been unfair and maybe all you're doing is just fighting back. But even in those moments, we hopefully will remind ourselves, this person is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I cannot mistreat them. I cannot disrespect them. I must engage. I must, even as I passionately disagree and put forth different ideas, I must do it with love, grace, and respect. Mm -hmm. And and I think another thing that you guys mentioned here that's interesting is that we're all imperfect and we keep coming back to this. But I think like, okay, so democracy, I said earlier, is a privilege. Mm-hmm. And and I think it, it really is. I mean, many countries in the world live under much more oppressive systems. And we live in a very privileged position for the most part. And we must use those privileges for uh, serving others and continuing to do God's work. Um, but in one sense, I think because we're all imperfect, uh, we sometimes forget that democracy wasn't the ideal as God's mm-hmm. creation. It was theocracy. 
um, I don't know if you guys remember like the, um, when when the Israelites asked Samuel to, hey, can you ask God for a king? <laughs> we want a king like everyone else. God says, are you sure? <laughs> I don't think you should have a king. You will not. And, and it gives you a bunch of things that the king would do to you. And they're like, no, we want a king. Um, democracy was never the ideal. Theocracy was. And I think if you're a Christ follower, as you participate, like I, like we said earlier, Jeremiah 29 and everything, as we pray for the leaders, as we pray for politics, as we uh, serve and live in the city and participate fully, we also have to recognize our hope ultimately is in the Lord and that there is a theocracy, there is a perfect ruler who reigns perfectly without our imperfections and that we can hope for that mm-hmm. even as we live today. And then we can hopefully have that eternal and unwavering hope instruct and inform the way we live here today and that that hope will cause us to not be too discouraged and and cause us not to be too divisive or Mm. too you know othering of others but Mm. actually engaging in a way that's god honoring and the honoring of the other people yeah so like we we have these systems that are set up to get us as close to where we want to be as possible but at the end of the day the systems will not save you yeah like that's not what they're there for there's only one thing that will truly save you. A political system is not going to do that. And that's the thing. I think there's sometimes, a lot of times, all these stressors happen because of an unfair expectation. Mm-hmm. I keep telling kids, like, you can't expect your parents to save you. Or to parents, you can't expect your children to save you. Students, you can't expect your teachers to save you. Like, our society constantly does this. We put unfair expectations on people. And even politicians. Yes, we want them to be the best possible people in those jobs. And yet at the same time, they're not going to be perfect. And we just all acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So if I expect Dylan Kruger to be unblemished and perfect in every way, all I'm going to do is be disappointed. Very disappointed. (laughs) Very disappointed. (laughs) This is is what I tell people who come to our church. Mm -hmm. And similar to what you said earlier, Abby, I, I say... Um, if you're new, thanks for joining us. Hey, I, I hope you'll get to know our church family, not just me preaching or our, our pastors or the worship team, but you'll get to know us as a people and as a family. But as you get to know us, here's a warning. You'll be disappointed at some point in me and others, because I'm going to tell you we're just a, a house full of sinners mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we will make mistakes. But I want you to know that Christ's grace reigns here. So yeah. we want to operate out of that grace and that love. But if you're if you're wanting perfection, if you're wanting the best church that will never let you down, the best pastor that will never let you down, you will not find it here. I'm sorry, but you will find a grace filled community where Mm -hmm. if we let each other down, we'll talk about it. We'll make amends. We'll move forward. We'll ask for forgiveness. We'll forgive each other. We'll keep loving each other. We'll keep going by the help of our God. And so expect that. So I think if we have the right expectations, even of our politicians, I think it could be a lot healthier relationship, too, in the community. Mm -hmm. And I think even like bringing that grace element into the way that we look at and and engage with politics is really key as well. Because, again, like we've been saying, like politicians are not always going to make the right decisions or the right decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And it's important to have some grace for them in that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to vote for them again, Mm -hmm. but it does mean that you shouldn't be aggressive and abusive towards them, Mm -hmm. whether that's in the language that you use Mm -hmm. or, you know, throwing rocks at them (laughs) or, or things like that, right? Like it is perfectly okay to disagree with someone, but extend grace enough to say 
you know what? You were trying here, and I respect you for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean I need to vote for you again. Yeah, well, now that you bring this up, I wanted to talk about this today. Disagreement is obviously common. Dylan mentioned that earlier. Um, There's decisions every day, and there's disagreements by good people every day. Um, Politics have historically divided families. Mm-hmm. Right, depending on your party colors or depending on your views on certain issues that you're passionate about. Uh, I've seen fathers not talking to their sons anymore. I've seen, you know, neighbors become enemies over, you know, oh, wait, you support that guy? <laughs> um, however, as Christians, how, how do we overcome that temptation to be divisive, especially right now with COVID? We've said this before, but I'm seeing a lot of polarization in our community. Mm. Um, I'm seeing it and people of all life stages, where this has, how we have um, conducted ourselves or managed this as a society, as a government, as a, as a city, we have become quite divisive, is what I sense. How would we overcome these temptations to be just divisive and just oppressive of one another, and rather work towards unity and work towards um, serving one another and loving one another. What what's something that comes to mind for you guys? A couple things for me. First of all, to your first point, Paul, we act. We all actually agree on a lot more than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- regardless of where you are in the political spectrum in Canada, um, back back to the earlier point, we prime minister makes. Let's say the prime minister makes a thousand decisions a day. Probably not an exaggeration. They can be delegated decisions. Probably 992 of them are very non-controversial issues. It's it's those couple of things where there could be division. Same thing at the city of Delta. If you actually look at uh, transcripts of our council meetings, it's actually unanimous approval on the vast majority of items. It's the few things that we do disagree on where there can mm-hmm. often be tension. So I think we need to start by centering ourselves in the conversation and realizing we actually agree on a lot more than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Number two... The responses that I've seen, and I will give this example because it's very topical right now. Um, you've got to step back and see how illogical this is. Let's say I do have, and, and you can have legitimate issues with the way the government has handled the pandemic, for example. And I think dialogue on those issues is important. We should encourage dialogue. That's the whole point of the democratic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, peaceful protest is also important, which is why we have government offices and Parliament Hill and city halls. Those are the appropriate places to protest. The inappropriate place, and this is where I lose the logic, is to say, I'm really upset with how the government is handling the pandemic. I'm going to block a hospital Mm. and stop a cancer patient from getting the treatment that they need. That is certainly the opposite of compassionate. It is the opposite of helpful. Um, So stepping back and realizing there are good ways to express frustration and anger, and we can do that in a constructive way, and there are not constructive ways, and we should call out and condemn those ways when we see them. Abby, you probably have <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. I think, like you said, the, the first thing is acknowledging how much people do agree on and how at the end of the day, all of us, you know yelling at each other in a chamber probably want similar outcomes. And so I think whether it's, you know, in the House of Commons or at your dinner table, 
taking a step, looking back and looking at somebody's intent is really important. Like, what are they intending to accomplish by supporting this person or, um, you know, fighting for this cause? Like, what do they want to see? Because often, you know, you might find that they're trying to reach the same ends as you. The other thing is like, you know, reminding yourself of their humanity. We have this um, like compulsion as people to imagine people who disagree with us as less good people mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than us. And that's just most of the time not the case. And it's a really unfair way of looking yeah. at the world. And so it's it's about, you know, kind of working that out. And I think as you said, Dylan, having the this space for discussion is so important because when people feel silenced, their anxiety grows and um, they're, you know, they're more likely to lash out about things. But if you have a place for civil discussion or peaceful protest that can go a long way um, towards, you know, working out issues as, as a society. But I think that in conversations between individuals, between friends and family members, for me, when I'm having a conversation about a controversial issue, I think really closely about holding my values in one place and my opinions in the other, because my values are core to my being. They're part of me. They're informed by my faith, but my opinions are not core to my being. My values inform my opinions, but they're not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to create space between those, because if you can't create space, as soon as somebody questions your opinion, you're going to shut down because you think they're attacking you. But really, your opinion is something different. It's mm-hmm. it's outside of yourself. And I think that you have to go into a discussion with that separation. And it allows this space for conversation and allowing your mind to be changed as well is you have to leave an openness. I've come to, to realize that one of the characteristics that I like value most in someone, particularly a politician, is somebody who's willing to have their mind changed on a subject by a persuasive argument, by realizing, oh, wait, I actually was thinking about this in the wrong way. I Mm -hmm. I see with what you're seeing and I'm willing to change my mind. That doesn't mean changing your values, Mm -hmm. but it means, oh, wait, there's a different way we could go about doing this that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have realized if we hadn't talked. Yeah. I... I think that the polarization that we're seeing right now is a a very perfect example of this othering that we had talked about, that we even do it on a personal one-to-one basis, that if if you're not agreeing with what I'm saying, you're not agreeing with my opinions, I'm going to now other you and it's going to give me the right to disregard everything you've said. Um, But as Christians, we have this this uh, privilege and also responsibility of knowing the truth, A, that God is sovereign, he's in control, and also that we were created in his image and he loves us, he loves his children. So I think that's something that we have to remember as, um, as Christians in this polarization is that while we might want to just default to othering because it's easier and it protects us, that we are, we're called to see people as God sees them, as his children made in his likeness. And so especially right now in the heated political climate that we're in and with the pandemic, it's it's so easy 
to other. And as we've been talking, I'm, I'm even, you know, convicted of ways that I do it. But, you know, God has called us to more. And as Christians, knowing that truth, we are we are called to love. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that verse, right, that we've been harping on th- since the beginning of har- uh, COVID. Um, Philippians chapter 2, right? Mm-hmm. Count others more significant than yourselves. Mm. That's a hard thing to do. Like Abby, like you mentioned, when you feel like your opinions are tied to your core, your values, then it becomes you're, you're offending me. Yeah. You, you're coming at who I am at, at the core. And, and, I, and what Jesus calls us to do is like, wait a minute, guys, you've come at me at my core. And I've given my life for you. I've, I've counted you more significant than like, how, how could that even possibly be? Jesus, the most precious life, the most perfect, unblemished son of God comes and says, your life is more significant than I. like what? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus, your life is the only one that matters. You should just trample upon all these other mm-hmm. useless lives. And no, he's like, no, 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 that's not how I work. I say, no, you are so significant that I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go, go to death, death on the cross, the worst and most shameful death if that means I can love you and I can have you. And it's like, man, I wish, like, I wonder how our cities would be transformed if all mm-hmm. of us had that mentality getting up and saying, like, how can I die for my neighbor today so that he or she may be uh, blessed and served well? Like, wow, what an amazing feeling it would be if we all walk into our workplaces where we go, how can I die to myself so that I can bless this person because I count him or her more significant than myself? Like, wow, it seems so simple, the golden rule and all of that. And yet, um, the moment we forget that, the moment we let differences of opinion override God's command to love one another as he has loved us, mm-hmm. um, we have lost our power and strength and opportunity in the world. And, and I think I'm seeing a little bit of that right now. I'm saddened by it, but I'm also um, excited to know that God God will not fail. He, mm-hmm. he will call us back. He will hold us accountable. He will empower us to love in that way. And so I continue to hope. Like even despite the negativity sometimes that we see, um, Dylan, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, all the things that we see in these ads where, you know, that's the one part I don't appreciate about how politics have become, in mo- especially in more recent years, where a lot of it has become name calling and putting the other down rather than actually saying, well, here's what I want to do to create positive change. A lot of that has been drowned out by well, here's what the other guy isn't doing and here's what an idiot or a jerk that he or she is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it sets a good example because I still remember a day, and I'm not even that old, when kids used to say, I want to be the next president of the United States of America. I mm-hmm. want to be the next prime minister of Canada. And that was like a noble thing to say, to aspire to that. And and I want our country, I think our country still cares about that and wants that, where we can point to leaders in our city, in our province, in our in our nation and say, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's an outstanding person. And I want our kids to grow up watching how they uh, work through differences of opinions. I wish I could turn on the TV and tell, tell, tell my kids, that's how you disagree. That's how you do it. You still respect uh, the other. You still love them. You're still gracious. You're still passionate about your position because you believe truly that you're right. But then that doesn't mean you have any right to demean anyone else. And, I, and I'm praying that our political leaders and, and our church leaders and our business leaders will operate that way through COVID. We've all been hurt. Mm-hmm. We've all been going through so much grief and pain. Um, I think we need healing. And as a community, I think the church and our citizens 
as Christ followers, we could lead in that way. Yeah. We can serve in that way. The compassion piece is really important, Paul. And I, I need to check myself as well at times when I'm mm-hmm. in a discussion or a, a debate and I hear what I think is a really bad take mm-hmm. on a particular issue. <laughs> and I have to remind myself sometimes more successfully than other times, um, attack the take, mm-hmm. be merciless in your um critique of a particular policy idea and put forward uh, a substantive uh, solution that you view as better, don't attack the person. No. And also remembering people and their opinions are the sum of the totality of their lived experiences. Mm -hmm. I see this really relevant, especially in terms of people's opinions of the church, Mm -hmm. people's opinions of Christianity, Mm -hmm. and sometimes on particular political issues, it can be very personal for people. It can be very emotional. Mm -hmm. And there could be a lot of deep-rooted reasons why people hold yes. the opinions that they have. Yeah, Tearing that person down because of that opinion does not accomplish anything and might even yeah. cement that opinion. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like we're all agreeing grace is going to be necessary in every aspect of life, but also in our political engagement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we've had some great conversations. I do want to bring us to a close, except I want us to end with some real positive note too. Um, I know that you guys got in and you guys are both still quite young. Hopefully you'll have great careers in it. And I'm praying that you'll you'll exert godly leadership in the places that you are in. Um, as you do that, though, what are some amazing moments that you guys have experienced so far? Amazing moments where you go, wow, I'm so glad God gave me this opportunity to serve in this way. Thank you, Paul. We've been down to the, the bottom of the mountain. We're going to climb ourselves back <laughs> yeah, up out of here. I'll give you a chance to redemption here. <laughs> because there are so many cool stories and not always they're not always as prominent as, yeah. as some of this negative stuff that we've been talking about. But th- there are, for, for, for all those examples where there, there are people who come in and there's different sides of the story, there are also examples of people who reach out who have a genuine issue. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a, an oversight on on. on behalf of the city, or it can be, you know, some sort of actually very easy fix that they've Mm -hmm. just gotten the runaround on. And you are able to help that person and connect them with the right person, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's a garbage collection issue or, or something to do with uh, being able to access city services. And you are actually able to make a a substantive difference in that person's life. There are very large uh, items that we've been working on for a number of years that involve a lot of community conversations, uh, a lot of policy review on big things like neighborhood area plans or revitalizing certain parts of our community or different pilot projects that we get to try. I'm giving very city-based examples. Abby will give you (laughs) some different examples later. And seeing those work and seeing people excited by them, seeing people get excited about opportunities to engage with the city Mm -hmm. and seeing decisions happen uh, that I think are good, that are going to make uh, our city a better place, that are going to lead to more opportunities for people who grew up here to to stay here with housing, uh, to improve social services, to have opportunities for people that are uh, the most vulnerable in our communities to be be enveloped and wrapped around. There are really positive and exciting stories that happen every day, Mm -hmm. which is why I get out of bed every morning and want to continue to do this job. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is it is very encouraging uh, and awe-inspiring and God-glorifying to see uh, through the art of, of negotiation and politics, people's lives be changed for the yeah. better. Totally. Yeah. And if I can just add to your stories, not that I want to tell your stories for you, but um, I think of the 60th anniversary that we did here right at our church and um, when, when we were starting to figure out what we were going to raise funds for and how we were going to celebrate it, one of the things we did is we had a meeting with the mayor and you were there and we got to 
just plan all of these things and talk about the Starfish Project and tutoring and work together and brainstorm. And I just thought that that was such a cool moment of our our worlds colliding and being excited about similar similar things that we can do. And it's the community groups coming out. It's South Delta Baptist Church coming out and saying, we want to do the Starfish Backpack Program. It's Rotary coming together and saying, we want to put together the Splash Park at Diefenbaker Park or Ladner Rotary saying, we want to put these storyboards together. Actually, Tawasin did that too. <laughs> the Tawasin Rotarians get mad at me if I say that. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. It's it, the groups that are coming out kind of out of the blue saying, hey, I've got a crazy idea. Can we partner with the city to actually make this thing happen? And it's people bringing their own passion and expertise and energy and collaborating on solutions to a problem that I might not have even known about. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Don't worry, Dylan. We got lots of crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my answer is going to be a little bit different just because the nature of mine and, and Dylan's jobs are, are quite different. Yeah. Um, I'm much more behind the scenes doing things quietly in the background. Um, and just our, our setup is different as well. But I think some of my favorite moments are, um, you know, watching friendships and partnerships form like across the aisle politically mm. and to see projects being worked on between people from different political parties. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool to me. Um, I also, from like a, a Christian perspective and, and getting to see Christ working in politics, I think it's been really cool to see um, like when I was in Ottawa, there's like a prayer breakfast, I think mm -hmm. most weekday mornings or something. And, mm -hmm. and there's, there's MPs from all different parties there. And there's an organization in BC that like they're involved with people, um, in, at the legislature and, and they have like a, a Twitter account where every day they put out a prayer for a different politician. And I just think things like that are really cool. And it reminds you that there are people of faith, there are people of the Christian faith in across all party lines. And it's just encouraging to me to see, you know, people who are Christians who care about their community, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding a place in this world and, and wanting to do politics, you know, a little bit differently. And that's mm -hmm. always something that really excites me. No, that's cool. Well, thank you for sharing some of your stories. Thank you for serving in your capacities that you do. Uh, we'll continue to pray for you guys. But for those of you listening, I encourage you as hopefully this has inspired some thought in you and uh, it was good to listen to. I encourage you to pray for our nation, uh, especially with the election coming up. Mm -hmm. um, pray for Canada. Pray for the cities that you live in. Pray for your province. And I encourage you to continue to serve and actively participate in the community that you have give, uh, you have been placed in. As I said earlier, scripture tells us, pray for the welfare of your city, for in it you will fi find your welfare. So let that be um, something that you work through this week. 